0: Hi, this is Tom from The Happiness Quotient. Thank you for clicking on this episode. If you've chosen to listen to some of my first episodes, 60 or so, they were created before I changed the name to The Happiness Quotient. Don't be confused if you hear my voice welcoming you to Baker Street with Tom Pollard, or if you hear me referencing my YouTube channel, Everest Mystery, you're still in the right place. Until I'm a big star and can hire an editor and producer to change every episode to reflect the platform, my gut tells me you'll be okay with hearing Baker Street or Everest Mystery when you click on an episode to the happiness quotient. It's all me, so let's just consider us one big happy family where we all learn together, brought here by our common interests and our desire to create a better world one episode at a time. I love you. Thank you. Now to the episode. Welcome to the Happiness Quotient. This is Tom Pollard. Today I have with us a legendary mountaineer of epic proportions. His name is Stephen Venables. He's a British climber whose career I've been following for decades. He climbed Mount Everest with a very close friend of mine who passed recently. Ed Webster, who lived in Maine, passed away unexpectedly over Thanksgiving And coincidentally, I had just interviewed Stephen Venables with the intent to interview Ed about their epic ascent of the Kangshung face, the east face of Mount Everest, during which time they became the smallest team ever to put up a major new route on the mountain. This interview is also in video form on my YouTube channel called Everest Mystery. The link to this interview will be in the notes to this episode. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you. And now for my episode with Stephen Venables. One of the most audacious, successful ascents ever of Mount Everest came at the cost of eight fingertips of the trip leader. It put the first Briton ever to summit Everest without bottled oxygen on the summit. The year was 1988. The team was only four men. The unclimbed Kangsheng, or east face of Everest, was their formidable choice of routes a 12,000 foot wall of ice and snow, wits of steel, and the conviction to embark on an expedition that very well could cost them their lives, the men set out to attempt the impossible. I caught up with Stephen Venables recently to talk with him about what he calls an intense and occasionally terrifying experience on Everest, which he remembers as one of the most fulfilling and happy experiences of his life. I'll bring you my convo with Stephen shortly, but I want to ask that if you haven't done so already, please hit that subscribe button. And at the end of this video, I'm going to share with you a video that I know you will want to watch. So stick around to the and before we go any farther I want to tell you about my sponsor Musa Masala they are an incredible organization I've provided a link in the notes of this video I want to share with you so you can learn a little bit about this incredible organization expert advice on safe healthy and culturally aware mountain travel. They are an exceptional organization that recently sponsored a climbing competition in Kathmandu, Nepal. The video link to that will be in the show notes. Thank you to Musa Masala for your sponsorship. It means the world to me. And now back to the regularly scheduled programming. George Lee Mallory from the British Everest Expedition of 1921 filed the first report ever from the Kangshung face during the reconnaissance deeming it far too involved for consideration. It was a nice way to say, no way in hell we're getting up that thing. It was almost 60 years before the next team even approached the Kangsheng face. And then in 1983, in a siege-style expedition by the Americans, three stood on top in October of that year. Carlos Bueller, Kim Mom, and Lou Reichardt. On the very next day, George Lowe, Dan Reed, and Jay Cassell summited. And in 1988, a four-man alpine-style team two Americans, Ed Webster and Robert Anderson, a Canadian, Paul Tier, and a Briton whom they had never met from Edinburgh, Stephen Venables, made an attempt without oxygen. They were self-reliant with no Sherpa support, no radios, and no chance of rescue if one should be hurt or killed friends back home wondered how many of the expedition would actually return. And it's been called one of Mountaineering's finest ascents, the 1988 International Everest Expedition. It's to this day the smallest team ever to pioneer one of Mount Everest's major routes. Stevens said, we did all the leading, rope fixing, and load carrying ourselves with no porters working for us on the mountain. And at that stage, only 18 people had ever reached the summit without oxygen, and four of those had not returned alive. As it turned out, Stephen was the only person to reach the summit on that expedition and became the first Briton to do so without bottled oxygen, getting there late in the day. He was forced to spend the night alone in the open at 8,600 meters in elevation, Stephen said in an article not too many years ago, I was forced to spend the night alone in the open at 8,600 meters above sea level before I could continue down in daylight to rejoin my companions. On that bitter cold morning, Ed Webster, who himself had endured a bivvy at about 28,000 feet, removed his gloves to photograph the alpenglow of morning sunrise in a series of photos he forever called frostbite sunrise. In the legendary story, Ed lost eight fingertips to frostbite. Sir Chris Bonington hailed this expedition as one of the greatest survival stories in the history of Himalayan mountaineering. And today with us here on Everest Mystery is mountaineer, author, speaker, guide extraordinaire Stephen Venables from his home in the UK. Here's my conversation with Stephen Venables about the 1988 Kangshung Face Expedition. I want to say that the images being used in this story are from Ed Webster's book, Snow in the Kingdom, My Storm Years on Everest, as well as Stephen's book called Everest. Kangsheng Face, both of which are books that you should read and have in your collection. The thing I wanted to talk to Stephen most about was the incredible bivouac he did at over 8,600 meters in altitude, surviving the night. I'd read accounts of Doug Scott bivouacking out very close to the summit of Mount Everest and wondered what was going through his mind trying to survive the night alone out there without oxygen. Here's my conversation with Stephen. Enjoy.
1: I was, although it was terrifying to go to the Kangshin face, I was delighted that we 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 were going there because I knew it's you you go to this beautiful valley, the Karma Valley, and hardly anyone ever goes there. We'd have the mountain to ourselves. Um, it was gonna, I knew it was going to be a great adventure. Mm. Uh, and then I met. I didn't meet Paul and Ed until I got to Kathmandu, and and you know I they were incredibly welcoming. This weird Brit suddenly dumped in their midst and. Um, I just thought this is this is going to be a really good expedition
0: just ascending the Kangsheng face and getting to the south coal seemed to me almost beyond that that exceeded anybody's expectations
1: well I thought we might pull it off but I think we were all I think we all thought we we, we could actually get there and think this is crazy or impossible. Or this is too dangerous, or we can't do this, and just sort of turn around and go home. Yeah. <laughs> so it was very thrilling when we when we did get there after many delays, and um, begin to sort of piece together a route, which was really Ed's idea, that the, the mm-hmm. idea of climbing that buttress, and begin to think, well, actually, you know, that looks climbable, and that gully looks climbable, and if we can link that up, and uh, you know, this this could actually work, and 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 and. I, one thing i did think was that if we could get up the lower buttress the upper slopes but there wasn't going to be anything very difficult there um it was just scary because big snow slopes are inherently dangerous yeah go ahead. above six thousand meters above six and a half thousand meters there's not any you know really very hard climbing is uh, as as um robert kept saying it's just high altitude wallowing
0: uh and so when you pulled up over the Kangshan face into the
1: What's the, the South Pole?
0: Oh, didn't you just get slammed by bitter... Yeah, the
1: wind. The wind. It was horrendous, yes. <sighs> yes, because you get lulled into a full set of security on the East Face. It, 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 generally, we, we were there in the spring, so it was generally quite benign and, and and very little wind. And suddenly, you know, you just get hit by this blast. Uh, which, uh, and, and as we all know, we, there's nothing like... Wind is just so... Sapping of not just of your energy, but of your sort of optimism. It just—it's so daunting. The wind. It just—it um it makes you—you you nervous and uncomfortable.
0: Stephen. So, you know, this is the thing that always really fascinates me because you're there, and it—and it seemed, you know, looking back, it was you did all the right things and you went up. But it, it just, it's just—it's incredible. So you dug deep and went for it. And that to me is like one of the gutsiest moves when you're, you know, pretty tapped. You've been working your, you know, your your keisters off for days and days just to get to the South Pole. And it's like, well, let's go. And up you go. Like, what? How do you dig deep like that? What? Um, I don't think. I don't
1: think it's gutsy, Tom. I mean, it's it's it's. It's selfish, really. It's it's self gratification. have you know, something you want very much. So you, you try very hard. Mm. And um, but I, I think I did feel that um, it had been a really good expedition. We'd had a lot of fun. We'd done some great climbing. We'd all led some great pitches, and um, we made such an effort to get to the South Col. Well, we having come this far, it'd be really nice if we could go the the whole way. And and the 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 received wisdom is that you can't um recuperate or or recover at well it's 7900 meters the south coal but actually after a day we, we were delayed a day at the south coal because it was too windy and actually after a day just sitting around lying around the south coal i did feel actually a bit better um bit 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 rested a bit stronger and feeling yes I, I think i think we can give this a
0: go um, and so up you go, and oxygenless, all three of yeah. you at this point in time. And yeah. um, I, I would imagine the conditions weren't optimum, but not enough to signal to you to go down. And- no, no, it was, it,
1: we set, set off in perfect conditions. It was a yeah. still night. It was completely calm, no wind, um, no moon. So very hard to Ooh. see where we were going. But it was a, the kind of good day that. People generally choose in May to go to the summit.
0: So without being so simplistic, you are on this summit bid without oxygen. Only a few people had successfully done the mountain without O's. It's only been 10 years since Abeler and Mesner did it. Um, The digging deep, the emotional kind of wrestling, were you at war with this or was it just one of those things like that, as you said, that selfish desire, I'm going to fricking pull this thing off and I'm not stopping until I either die or fall off I, what's going on in your brain?
1: Oh well what's going on in the brain all sorts of things um uh, wh- when we set off from the south Pole, I, I I was very optimistic I, I I think I'd thought about it a lot you know I felt quite well prepared mentally and I had been I'd been on uh, uh, quite a lot of Himalayan peaks, not that high, but I'd been quite high. So I sort of knew roughly what to expect and I felt quite strong and I felt, yeah, I'm managing to move. Yeah. <laughs> I'm managing to take 20 steps at a time. That's not too bad. I was managing to breathe. And, and so I felt, yes, well, I, I think I think maybe we can do this. So so that was how I felt me set off. And then, then as the hours passed, I, I got more and more tired. It, it was very daunting being in the dark and not sure exactly which route to take. Because it's not like now where they have ropes all the way. Um, <laughs> <But> <laughs> I kept leading the others in the wrong direction and then coming back and not being sure exactly where to go. And and there's there's something about being in the dark. It's so discombobulating and you can't judge distances and, and, and you feel so lonely and sort of forlorn. Um, but then, then we had sunrise and, of course, that lifts the spirits and that was thrilling mm. uh, that gave gives you a new lease of life but um but then as the morning wore on I was just getting slower and slower and weaker and weaker and uh where later in the day later in the morning Ed caught up with me and uh, I realized he, he was even weaker than I was um even slower than me and clearly struggling certainly as much as me if not more I think at that point I thought well no one's going to do this for me <laughs> Ed's not going to come and break trail for me so I'll I better make one more effort <laughs> hmm. because yeah. I, I have a terrible fear of disappointment <laughs> i think you know i didn't i didn't want to come back and think oh if only i tried a bit harder <laughs> i yeah. think that, that's quite a motivator because because you you get given these opportunities and and, and i thought well, i've really got to take this opportunity
0: but you the the photos taken of you back down near the south coal are the so
1: next morning yes <laughs> <laughs>
0: It, it, it looked like seriously, like you can't even conjure a vision like that up in your mind. It, it, old man Winter just appeared out of nowhere. Your cake and, and, yeah. and rime ice, or or yeah. Yeah. you know the the breath frozen on your face, and um, yeah. you must have been wiped out
1: yes I have to say, Ed and Robert didn't look much better, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I certainly didn't mean to pick on you, but,
1: <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I was slightly yeah I was in a slightly worse condition because yeah. um, as you know they, they'd spent the night in a tent, so they had yeah. a sort of modicum of shelter yes yeah, so i i i am um, well, you know you spoke you mentioned doug scott and mm. and when i um when I decided to bivouac when it became sort of obvious that that's what I had to do. I was very encouraged by the thought that, you know, well, Doug and Dougal spent the night even higher than this, and they were okay. Doug didn't even have a down jacket on, for God's sake. Oh, insane. Um, yeah. and, then, um, and then, and then, well, of course, you know, Tom Holmheim, and and, and, um, and and the other three, you know, in 63, yeah. Yeah. they spent the night out. I think they were, they were a little bit lower down, nearly that high, and they were all okay. So, you know, I, I knew intellectually it's possible to survive a night out here provided it's not too windy which it wasn't Mm. it was a it was a calm night i wasn't really i didn't think i'm going to die i I, I didn't feel frightened i just felt very cold very lonely rather pathetic this sort of lost soul (laughs) thinking this is miserable (laughs) i wish i was back at home in the warmth (laughs) just got to get on with it and you know survive it
0: yeah, that's what Everest is like. I want to go home. I suppose, <laughs> Stephen, it, it's such a good story of to me the perseverance and the desire to go as far as you possibly can and not fail, but the teamwork and the and the friendships mm. and the relationships. Mm. I, you are very close with everybody to this day on that. Yeah, time.
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is. It is. Um, yeah, I think. I think tales of of. um people surviving in extreme situations are are always moving um i rather wish i'd hoped that we would do this great new route and get to the summit and get down again without enforced bivouacs without frostbite without nearly dying (laughs) i was hoping we'd do the whole thing a bit more slickly and efficiently (laughs) and and as it was we we didn't you know we we um overextended ourselves So I was slightly sort of annoyed that, you know, the thing turned into such an epic when it, I felt it shouldn't have done, you know, if, if we'd been a bit faster, a bit more efficient, a bit stronger, (laughs) we could have got up and down more quickly. You know, the plan was to get up and down in five days and it took us nine days. So I, I, I felt slightly embarrassed by, by the fact that we only just sort of crawled down Half dead, <laughs> rather than just a casually strolling back down <laughs> from the summit.
0: <laughs> so you've never lost even a one iota of of that love, that thrill of wild, vast places. You know, may, what is it that you love the most? Like, what really was like the essence of this? Is why I come to the mountains. Was it being most alone, or the togetherness with people, the cultures? What's, what was that kernel that kept you going back?
1: Well, often I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing here? This is horrible. <laughs> I wish I was at home. <laughs> well, um, so, yeah. But I think usually when you when you are in those sort of moods, you have to remind yourself that, well, it's going to get better. And actually, there will be moments that I feel the complete opposite. And I, I do remember a particular moment. Well, there are lots of moments like it. 19... Uh, 19- 1980 we were attempting a mountain called Kunyankish in the Karakoram i think it's the 22nd highest mountain in the world it's a big it's a big peak anyway we didn't get up it we were attempting this new route and towards the end of the expedition we were going back up i think for our final attempt and i was walking up the glacier i was on my and i just sat down on a rock to have a rest the way you do and i was just sitting there in the middle of this vast glacier looking up at the surrounding peaks evening afternoon sunlight slanting down through the peaks and and i just sat there and and just thought actually there's nowhere else i'd rather be right now and and that that is a a wonderful feeling Mm. and 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 you get those moments and and that was just one example
0: Mm.
1: and certainly on that everest trip i mean there were many moments like that and i thought god how lucky i am to be here
0: that's beautiful no, no.
1: But I don't, I don't, I'm not like, I mean, there are so many people who, who do back to back expeditions and, 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 and are constantly traveling and constantly doing more and more ambitious, harder wilder climbs. And I'm afraid I, I, I just don't have that drive. You know, I, I, I like going on trips and I know that when I get there, I'll have a wonderful time. It'll be really captivating and moving, but I don't want to be doing it all the time.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You, you, this is much of an appreciation of home and the thing yeah. you know. I, mean, I
1: think it's very much about contrast isn't it and it's i mean most mountain people who actually live in the mountains who often live you know on the borderline of, of what's possible and, and live quite economically poor lives
0: mm.
1: they, they don't go climbing for fun <laughs> it's 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 very much not entirely but it's very much a sort of um a luxury of of of, of people from uh, well-off urban stroke suburban lives mm. um loving the the differentness of going and doing something very physical very demanding in in a in, in a very wild place amongst beautiful mountains mm and and that and the contrast between that and everyday life is is i think a big part of the appeal mm. certainly for me
0: Reinhold Mesner has said that the best moment of an expedition is the moment you step down from a climb. We are so glad that Stephen made the summit successfully and even more happy that he made it down to share his story with the rest of the world. It is a great honor that he was here on this channel to talk about his experience. Stephen, thank you. I appreciate you. And when you are in New England next time, you make sure you let me know because there's a place to stay for you here in New Hampshire. My friends, hit that subscribe button. I will see you real soon. Be well, stay safe, and peace out. If you're still here, please, I would love it if you checked out my Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Everest Mystery, and my YouTube channel, Everest Mystery. Check me out. And as always, leave comments and share your thoughts whenever you can, and share it with friends who might be interested in hearing or listening or watching. Thanks so much.